You're right. You should know why the COVID-19 vaccines are safe. This is why. Strict safety standards were followed. The vaccines were tested on thousands of volunteers and the highest scientific standards were followed. Severe allergic reactions are extremely rare. You will be observed by medical staff in case you have an allergic reaction. Millions have been vaccinated safely. So far, tens of millions of people in the U.S. have been vaccinated safely. The vaccines save lives. The vaccines prevent severe illness, hospitalizations, and deaths from COVID-19. So yes, you're right. You should be sure the COVID-19 vaccines are safe. With strict safety standards followed, few allergic reactions, millions vaccinated safely, plus the prevention of severe illness, you can be sure the COVID-19 vaccines are safe and save lives. Learn more at nyc.gov slash COVID vaccine. How are we going to be there for our children when they feel that life has just not been Good evening and welcome back to Masks Weekly Radio Show on Family Matters. Mask, mothers and fathers align saving kids, kids of ages and all stages for all mental health issues, including addictions. If you know somebody that needs a referral for a therapist, for a program, inpatient, or outpatient programs, please feel free to give them our confidential, could be anonymous, number 718-758-0400. Feel free to share our number, and if anybody wants to join a parent support group, call us. Again, I'll repeat our number, maybe for yourself, a loved one, a neighbor, or someone you usually would sit next to in shul. And that number again is 718-758-0400. You know, every week I do this show for the last three years, and I have on so many of my colleagues, authors, professionals, parents, but it is really a true honor, I, I can't say it enough, to have on with me tonight Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, who is the, I mean, he's the world's leading expert on trauma. He's a psychiatrist, a researcher, and a professor at Boston University. And like I said, he's the world leading expert on trauma and long-term effects on the brain, especially when it comes to the brain, the body, and the nervous system. He's the author of multiple books and the ones that we always recommend to our clients at Mask is The Body Keeps the Score, which is just a masterpiece. I want to welcome you on tonight with us, Dr. Van der Kolk. Thank you for making the time to being on with us tonight. Thank you very much for having me. So, doctor, you know, parents call mask and they're very frustrated, they're in pain, they're confused about 
what's going on with their loved one, whether it's a child, whether it's a teenager, a married child, a spouse. And they're very confused because they really have no idea why their loved one suddenly is either withdrawn, you know, staying in their bed for during the day, all day, and up only at night, whether they're combative about every conversation becomes a fight, whatever it may be. And we know that trauma changes the brain. It's an imprint on the brain. So I'd like to introduce Dr. Debbie Ackman, who's with us as well, who facilitates a very popular parent group Monday nights. Anyone interested, feel free to call. It is still by Zoom. And Dr. Ackman, I'm wondering whether or not you can um, tell the audience what you see in group and how Dr. Vandekoe can respond to the emotional stress that parents come in with. Good evening, Dr. Vanderkolk. Um, to begin to say that this is an honor and that I'm grateful is a vast understatement. Thank you very much. It, it's Thank truly an honor, an honor to meet you. Thank you, sir. Um, I have been facilitating this parent group since August, and what we tend to see is parents are coming in with an incredible amount of pain due to the behaviors that their children are exhibiting. The children are exhibiting many addictive behaviors, drugs, alcohol, sex, sexting, cutting, eating, gambling. Uh, several of our participants have uh, children that have been incarcerated uh, several times uh, for their behaviors. And what I think might be perhaps most helpful because um, the stigma and the perceived notion that the parents have failed or their children are moral failures or not religiously uh, correct individuals is really high. And that is a huge amount of pain that the parents exhibit. I thought maybe it would be a good idea to address the parents and, and from your expertise, uh, what exactly happens in the brain, the biology of the trauma and why those acting out behaviors often comes in conjunction with a trauma that has happened to their children that they don't even know about yet. Yeah, the question to my mind is a little too general. Okay. Uh, that you cannot really understand something uh, unless you get more of the story. Uh, not just this kid like before, whatever happens. But to the parents like before something happens. Huh? And it's always, always good to not necessarily blame yourself as a parent, but it's certainly important to investigate how do I contribute to my child being upset or why is my child afraid of me? Or, you know, um, drug addiction, for example, is very much correlated to people feeling more safe in their current environment. And so it's always a big question to ask yourself, what is it in our family that makes uh, my child feel unsafe? Okay. When the child feels unsafe and when the child has had the trauma and is acting out, can we t explain to the parents what that does to the brain, how that acts as a soothe? How does the acting out behavior actually temporarily, or the child thinks it helps them? See, see I need to know what the trauma is. Huh? Let's, say it's, well, let's say it's being molested. Let, let's, say, let's say it's being molested. Wow, that's sort of a very big deal. So who molested this kid? What were the circumstances? Who is protecting this child? 
um, who is taking care of this child. Uh, uh, there's a huge correlation between drug abuse and child abuse. So if a child uh, uses drugs, it means that this child feels very unsafe in their bodies. Uh, and that, that's really worthwhile looking at what is it about our family that makes my child feel so unsafe. So you're looking at this at, like as a more holistic, as a family systems approach that there's... Absolutely. Everything, you know, we are relational animals. We are human beings who are completely intertwined with each other. And these feelings of despair that lead to this hard behavior are usually a problem in the social setting that mother is involved in. And you not seen, not heard, or you feel uh, scared. Uh, and nobody is really listening to you, then you go into these states of fight and flight that makes people angry and, and lash out. But it's really worthwhile looking at what is happening in our own family that is contributing to, to this behavior. Yeah. Okay. So instead of looking at what the biology of the trauma in the brain, you're looking at it as what is actually going on with the mother, with the father, with the siblings, with the extension. With all of us. Okay. How do we interact with each other? And indeed, uh, you know, it's interesting. Psychiatry has certainly done the same thing as the question that you asked. Psychiatry, but we know, but, but the whole trauma thing is done for understanding, is to understand that certain things that happen to people uh, overburden them and drive them crazy. And what psychiatry has done is they have found refuge in the brain rather than looking at what is in their social conditions that causes this to happen. So I happen to be a neuroscientist, happen on a lot of neuroimaging, but uh, as a member, uh, that is only of mild interest. What really of interest is what is it about us that makes, about how we live, that makes my child feel unsafe and, uh, and angry as a child is. Okay. Okay. So, what about, if you what about genes? If you don't want to... I'll get there. If you know what responsibility, you say, oh, it's something about the brain. Yeah? What about genes? You know, the only thing we have done, we cannot get a grant these days without getting, uh, doing genetics, not only because there's the latest technology that you have, but we have found no genetic mark of mental illness. Uh, the, but, but research, real ultimate research choice is that we mature in the context of the environment that we live in, our brain gets formed by experience, and in the long range, the environment has a more powerful effect on how you end up than your biological makeup. By but your biological makeup is very much formed by the environment you live in. Okay. So are, are you suggesting, Dr. Van der Kolk, that if a child comes from a secure, safe environment and there happens to be a traumatic event, that child potentially is going to fare better and maybe will not end up uh, doing acting out or high-risk behaviors? No, better. It is the protective factor. Right? That until about puberty, basically, the safety you feel with your caregivers will determine how you respond to a painful experience. Right? And but, but we should show over and over again, we can put external causes, but when we look at what really happens, it's usually inside. Okay? So, the old photo that goes, you went to look for the enemy, 
and it's us. <laughs> so it's really important to say. But what is our family system like when some of the kids who we raise don't feel safe right. and become angry and upset? I hear. Kids get angry and upset because that's what the kids do. Right. And, you know, and so how do we deal with that? These questions. Are we punitive? Or do we extrude them? Do we scare them more further? Or do we try to understand what our child is dealing with? Correct. So yeah. parents question the best modality to use when they're choosing a therapist. When a child is 17, 18, 20 years old, acting out, and they find out their child was molested when they were five and they had no idea. Um, well, I think we can have a family meeting to talk about it. And to actually acknowledge that, hey, we found out whoever molested that person. What have the parents done to protect that child? Was the person who molested that kid actually a friend of the parents? Um, have the parents chosen to protect the perpetrator or have the parents chosen to advocate for the child? Right. I mean, as you probably know, there is a, uh, a higher incidence of sexual abuse in Orthodox communities than there is in non-Orthodox communities. So there is something about Orthodoxy that makes it hard for people to actually deal with issues. I just well established by research by Richard and other people. Yeah. Can I actually incest? Incest is a big issue. And yeah. parents struggle when they have to now, you know, make so many changes and defend the victim. Right. And and the victim struggles with the parents being in the middle now with two children. Well, parents are not in the middle. Parents are parents. And so as a parent, you're not like a victim of it. You're, you're responsible for the welfare of your children. Like, yeah. uh, not so, all parents know when that happens. No, no, that's true. And it's, what also happens is that sometimes parents can be very, very blind to what's going on. There's, I've seen people who have been set themselves to be molested by certain people, and then as they grow up and have kids, they allow their children to be with the same people who have molested them. And so I, I think when you talk about families, it's very important for families to be together and to really uh, talk about what happens and ask the child, what can we do for you? And to be firmly on the side of... Uh, of understanding that his child was hurt by something terrible, and to really think about what can we as a family do to reestablish a sense of safety and harmony. And so always become the family issue. And so, again, this is something I hear all the time in various questions. Again, so moda what modality is the best? And it's not the issue of modality. There's many tricks and many different modalities. The first thing is, living in a place where you, the truth can be told. Uh, and the question is, families are not always the places where the truth can be told, because there's oftentimes a lot of pathology in the parents. 
And so it's not like, oh, we, if you just do this little trick, we do that technique or that technique, everything will go away. No, these are issues about how people uh, live as a community, as a family, and how much we can actually speak about what's going on with us, and who's doing what we feel. So the name of your book, The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, Body, and the Healing of Trauma. Can you explain to us, talking to parents now, to understand how the body keeps the score? Yeah. So when you get really frightened, the back of your brain, which we call the housekeeping part of your body, sends you signals, I'm in danger. And say to signals, you need to run, you need to hide, you need to shut yourself down. And these signals are in your body. And so you experience these, these issues as heartbreaking and gut-wrenching sensations in your body that make you feel very uncomfortable. And when you have these horrible sensations, which we're all familiar with, and the, the natural way of dealing with upsetting sensations is to go to someone you love and trust, having that person hold you, have that person say, I'll protect you. But if nobody's there to help you, hold you and protect you at this point, your body keeps turning. And if you don't have somebody who can help you with that, then you will take drugs to make this things go away. Or you will cut yourself to make this feeling go away. Or you'll starve yourself to make this feelings go away. But those feelings almost invariably are related to people hurting you. And you're not feeling safe with somebody. And so, so really thinking about how can we make our family feel safe with each other? What are we doing to promote openness and honesty in terms of what we're suffering from is terribly important. Dr. Ackman, parents come to group and they join the group and they're very confused. How do you see them moving along and understanding the body keeps score? Okay. Um, I think just uh, by having the power of the group and creating that kind of very safe space where they're able to talk about freely what's going on with them has really been very really cathartic and healing for this group, especially Dr. Vanderkoek, as you've pointed out, in the insular community where things really are, are secretive and, and things are very judged and it's very difficult. So Rahama and the organization through MASK, that parents are really able to come together uh, and really support each other and, and really in a very, very judgment-free environment, I think is incredibly healing for the group just, just as a whole. Um, you know, it's very important to realize is that raising kids is very hard. And none of us does it very well. You know? And uh, I've yet to be perfect parents. And what we also all need, we need a lot of feedback. You know, I needed a lot of feedback raising my kids. Like, Bessel, you're being too harsh, you're being too demanding, you don't let up on your kids. And you need to have that feedback as a parent. And so I think parents' groups are very helpful. Right. to, if you can keep people from being too harsh on each other, to really take a look at themselves and to hear other people do the same stupid stuff you do yourself. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I also, I just want to kind of say that I am 
really so happy that I am here because even uh, having you, Dr. Vanderkolk, approach this from a systemic point of view, from a family systems orientation, just hearing that now to me is so markedly helpful that to have the conversation, to bring in the child, to bring in the parents, and uh, with Rafama's permission, that's something I really intend that I think we should talk about with the parents. It, it, it feels very healing, and it, it feels like that's really an approach that parents should learn how to, how to do, not just to go into this, go to a therapist, but to bring the entire family unit in together. It, it's really marvelous. Um, in terms of keeping the score, I think that even just the explanation that you've been able to offer here today of the messages being stored in the brain and just shooting out and needing a soothe, that if we can provide that soothe through our organic family, through our caretakers, through our biological family of origin, the behaviors will hopefully diminish. No, what's important to remember is that our need to belong is a gigantic primal need that we have. And so uh, we'll just do about anything to be acceptable to our families. And families are terribly important. And so if your kid is rebelling against the family, uh, it's really good to take a look at yourself and say, wow, my kid cannot stand belonging to the community that we are anymore. What is happening in our family that our kid chooses to hang out with a bunch of drug addicts or criminals rather than with us? And that's always a systemic issue. I'm wondering if we could just touch on gaming. Uh, parents don't realize that that can become another addiction, self-soothe. Kids that, are gaming that's, now. That's both true for parents and for children. Yes. And parents are as addictive to the internet as kids are. But we always focus on these terrible kids. How much do you spend on them? Facebook. Let's stop saying things to the kids. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of kids, you know, so, don't like that the parents come with the telephone to the dinner table. Or when right. you're talking to exactly. them, they're always looking at the there telephone and not at you. It's hard for looking at yourself. Huh? Right. And so if you have a culture where you move together, you dance together, you make music together, you go camping together, whatever, uh, then uh, you set an example that we can do many things without being online all the time. But if you are online all the time, your kids are going to be online all the time also. Because so again, kids are going to do what you, what you model. What you model is what you do. yourself. Correct. Huh? And indeed, if you have a, what we call a neuroatypical child, if you have an unusually uh, wired child, that child is likely to hide in the computer. That's that's the safe place to go to. Just like we do as adults. We also hide in the computer when we are upset. And so so again, start looking at yourself. And then uh, and then sometimes it's okay. One of my kids was a very atypical child and difficult child growing up. And he found comfort in in early on Facebook. And today he's hardly ever on the internet anymore because he was able to move through that to something else. So one part is to really uh, work very hard on having family uh, things uh, that are more pleasurable than being on a computer. Dr. Vandekoek, I'm sorry. Dr. Vandekoek, can we talk about hurt people hurt people? Right. 
Well, that's, of course, had, if, had a lot of people, parents and children, get stuck in fight or flight. And when you feel like the world is going to get you, you either fall over and give up, or you fight back. And so when you have aggressive kids, that means that these kids feel like, I cannot get a voice, nobody will listen to me, and I'm going to defend myself, and I'm going to hurt people. And then the issue for us is how do we calm this kid down? And, you know, there's certain sort of psychologically approved ways of doing that, but like dancing to catch my music is not one of those approved methods. But as an observer across the world of what people do to calm themselves down, dancing to clap is a very good thing to do. So anything that gets you in sync with other people and to move with other people helps you to get a sense of belonging. And of course, the Orthodox community is particularly good at that, of singing together, dancing together, moving together, of creating a sense of community. And so if that starts falling, breaking down, then the question is, how else can I help my child to get a sense of rhythm and community with other human beings? And so the treatments that I like is doing theater groups, doing martial arts, doing uh, songwriting, and doing things that are a source of pleasure of collaborating with other people. Dr. Van der Kolk, I do want to get in one thing. You write in your book about trauma being like a splinter that causes an infection. Well, that's what Freud said. I, yeah, Freud was right. Right, about that, but, yeah. right. and you bring that up in the book. And yeah. it's important that parents understand and realize yeah. even one time being molested at five years old, even one time getting, you know, embarrassed in a classroom in seventh grade can really have a big effect on one's brain. Well, I think we all get embarrassed in classrooms, I think. That's a human experience. Huh? Uh, but indeed, if the world joins you in your ridicule, really hard and becomes a permanent. Again, uh, how well you accept your family makes a big difference. Right? And to be able to say that. Or my teacher is humiliating me in class. You need to be able to say that. Right? And if people say, no, your teacher is great, blah, 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 then, then you get these reactions of, okay, I cannot tell my truth. And so I have to keep it to myself. Uh, so, yes, but you know, it's important to come from a point of view that everybody is doing the best they can. And the kids don't do these things in order to torture you necessarily. People do these things in order to survive. That's so the question for all of us, parents, therapists, is to go, what is this child dealing with that this kid is starving themselves or cutting themselves um, in order to deal with internal things, because they, everybody actually does the best they can. Huh? Well, we're running out of time, yeah. and it really is a true honor. Thank you for making the time for coming on tonight yeah. with us, and thank you, Dr. Rackman, as well. Thank you, and thank you. I wish we could have solved all your problems with all the questions, but we can't do that in 20 minutes. No, we can't. <laughs> 
Dr. Yeah. No, we can. I hope you can make some time and continue this conversation yeah. on another show. Unbelievable. Please. True honor. Thank really. you so much. Thank you. True honor. We will continue to uh, let everyone know about The Body Keeps the Score. Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, you can get it on Amazon. Wonderful, wonderful, easy human read. Very easy read. Uh, I recommend it highly. All and your other books as well. Thank you, Dr. Bandicoot. Thank you. Good luck to you. Thank you. And I want to wish everyone a very good evening, a beautiful Shabbos, and always remember, hang in, hold on, and hug tight. T tonight's show is in memory of Yehuda Lei Ben Mordechai and Ita Bas Shlomo. Thank you, Dr. Ackman, as well. It was really amazing. Thank you, Rahama. Anytime, really. That was unbelievable. Thank you kindly. Good job. Good and job. have a good night. Thank you. Bye-bye. I'm Dr. Dave Choksi. I recently received my COVID-19 vaccine. And while I'm grateful for the protection that it offers me, like so many others who have been vaccinated, I was thinking about what it means for my loved ones as well. For instance, my daughter finally getting to see her grandparents and making up for a year of lost hugs. I also know that every shot brings us closer to a city that is protected from COVID-19. It's up to us to roll up our sleeves, including New Yorkers who have had COVID-19, like I did, once they've recovered. To my fellow New Yorkers who have already been vaccinated, I have some doctor's orders for you. Please share why you got vaccinated with your family and your neighbors. Help answer their questions by sharing your experience. We need your stories to spread faster than the virus. That's how we're going to turn the corner on this pandemic together.